If you have your Bibles, open it to Matthew's Gospel. We're going to be continuing in chapter 11. Last week, Jesus gave us some difficult things to digest, telling us how important he is in perspective to everything else, that anything else that we would live our lives for, that we would pursue, that we would make as kind of a goal, a target for our life can become an idol. And it can be people, it can be careers, it can be anything, but he will not share us with idols. And so we are to have a priority of who he is in our lives. And as last week we had to kind of talk about some difficult things, this week it's, again, something that's, this passage is a bit troubling to me, um, but it's a good passage. It's a reality, I think, that we all need to embrace and understand. And so let's start reading from verse 2. We'll read all the way through verse 19, and then we'll kind of go back and talk about some of these things. Verse 2, when John, who was in prison, this is John the Baptist, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let him hear. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children, sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others, we played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a gluttonous and drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Let's pray.
Father, may we have ears to hear. As we look at your words and we try to understand them, Father, may you find us in them. And may through this time that we have set aside for you, may we understand a little more clearly, Father, of what this kingdom looks like, of what our role is in your work. And more importantly, what is your role in our lives? Lord, this time is now dedicated to you. Do something in each of us, we pray. We do ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Gil, could you turn the fan on? Just one of the fans. Anyone else warm? Yeah, okay. I don't want you falling asleep on me. Put it really cold. No. <laughs> this passage starts off with John the Baptist's disciples coming to Jesus. We haven't heard from John since chapters 3 and 4. We saw in chapter 3, he was mentioned, and in chapter 4, we saw that he was actually taken, arrested, put in prison by Herod, and Jesus left Galilee at that time. And so up till now, he's been kind of missing in action. He hasn't been in the scenario, but we know he was in prison. And remember, John is Jesus's cousin. He's not only someone who is a prophet, as Jesus has explained, but he was someone who was actually part of Jesus's family, someone close to him. And as it starts off, it's a little bit troubling, at least for me, I think so many times I look at the scripture and I look at it through these tainted glasses of what holiness and faithful men are supposed to look like. And there are people who, who don't doubt. There are people who don't fail. There are people who stand firm and don't have all the, the problems that I have. I, I so desire them to be better than me and when I read of their humanity, sometimes it's troubling, but then it's also very comforting because I realize that they are just like me. And where God did amazing things through them, and I see their weakness, it's hopeful for me that God, maybe he can do something amazing in me with my weaknesses. And you see, what's troubling here is John's disciples come up to him and they say, in verse 2, he sent his disciples to ask them, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? When he's saying, are you the one to come? Are you the chosen one? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Savior, the Redeemer of Israel? What's troubling is John already talked about this through the Gospels. We see that John says, I'm not worthy to unloose your sandals. I have need to be baptized by you, and you come here to baptize me? 
Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And after Jesus was baptized, the Spirit descended on him like a dove, and the voice of the Father came breaking through, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. John knew Jesus was the Messiah. He told his disciples, He must increase, I must decrease. So what's this about? Well, what this is about is prison. What this is about is the trial of John's life. What this is about is for, we don't know how long, but for a period of time, John has been locked up. And we're going to see later on, in a few chapters, John is going to be beheaded. He probably has rumors and knowledge of what's going to be happening. It's probably getting to him. Things aren't good. It doesn't look like I'm getting out of here. Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? I thought the Messiah was going to come and he was going to deliver his people from the oppression. He was going to bring judgment on the earth and righteousness and I'm here because I stood up for righteousness. I, I spoke to a king who was having an adulterous relationship. I called him on it, and I was arrested because of it. Where is going to be that retribution? Where is going to be my vindication? Where is going to be God's judgment on the wrong that is being done and the wrong that's being done to me? After all, he's the Messiah, right? And so you can only imagine, and I think you can imagine, if you've ever been in a place where things are difficult and you wonder, okay, God, are you there for me? And so John, the Baptist, the one who proclaimed Jesus, the one who leaped in his mother's womb when Mary came into the same room, sends his disciples and says, are you the one? Are we supposed to be looking for someone else? And Jesus is so masterful in how he answers this. So masterful, and yet it's sobering. When he tells them, go back. Verse 4, and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. These words John knew. For us, yeah, they seem like Jesus' words, but these aren't actually Jesus' words. They're Jesus quoting Isaiah and also Malachi, two places in Isaiah and in Malachi. And just as we might know to be or not to be, oh, that's Shakespeare, I know that. You know, literature, yeah, we've understood that's, you know, or four score and seven years ago, oh, that's Abraham's, Gettysburg, I know those things. Well, when he hears these words, he says, I know that, that's Isaiah. But the way he uses Isaiah is very interesting, so we need to turn there. 
Go to Isaiah chapter 35, and then we're going to go to 61. Verse 35, starting in verse 5, we'll, we'll see what Jesus is quoting here. He says, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Go to chapter 61, verse 1. Jesus quoted this scripture at another time in Luke's gospel. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. Blessed because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Now Jesus talked about proclaiming good news to the poor. He talked about sending him to the blind and to bind up the brokenhearted, but he left out to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Don't you think that would have been something John wanted to hear? Jesus left that out. Going back to chapter 35, let's start at verse 4. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Don't you think that would have been a word that John would have liked to have heard? But he didn't give him that scripture. And you see, when he quotes the scriptures, he quotes the the ones that are applicable to what his ministry is at this time. He didn't quote verse 4. He didn't quote the end of verse 1 that John was probably hoping for. And instead, he ends it with, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. If you were in prison and you were in John's place, those words would have sounded something like, John, I'm not coming for you. They would have had that echo in them. And you see, so many times, Jesus doesn't come for us the way we want him to. He doesn't deliver us from cancer. He doesn't restore life to the tip of our finger. He doesn't deliver our kids from the problems, difficulties they face. And where we would want him to rescue us from those dark places, sometimes he says to us, blessed if you're not stumbled because of me. Blessed are you 
if you recognize that I don't always do things the way you want me to. And that's something that's hard for us. That's something that's very difficult for us. As I was talking with Corrine about this, just sharing with her these things, she said, I feel like crying. Because it's a hard thing to understand. It's a difficult thing to grasp that sometimes God does not show up the way we want him to. He doesn't stop being God. He is still doing the work of the Messiah. He is still the promised one. He's just not doing things the way you or I want. He's got a plan. He's seeing it out. And we're blessed if we're not stumbled because it isn't our plan. It isn't our way. It doesn't go the way we want it to go. And all of us have been in that cell to some point or another. We've all been in that prison saying, Jesus, can you come deliver me? This isn't good. This isn't right. I'm being faithful to you, Lord. I have done what you've wanted. I'm being obedient. I'm giving my life for you. Why is this happening to me? Are, are you going to hear me? Are you going to rescue me? And I think these words, blessed is the person who's not stumbled because of me. John was expecting something else. All of Israel was. They were expecting the Messiah to come and to bring judgment to bring that retribution, to, to vindicate them from their enemies. That was John's message. And Jesus didn't come the way he thought he would. Sometimes I don't think Jesus shows up the way we think he should, the way we want him to. Are we going to be stumbled because of that? I know so many people who have been. I know so many people who lost someone they loved and say, I can't, I, I just can't go to church anymore. I, I, can't, I can't serve God. I can't believe in God. Why? Because this has happened. Someone I loved has passed away because of this circumstance that is devastating to me. I, I just can't do this anymore. If God was there, why would he allow this to happen? And the pain is so great and it just grips them that that's what controls and they are stumbled because of Jesus and him not doing what they thought he should do. The challenge is for us. How are we going to respond if he doesn't show up the way we expect he would? How are we going to behave if he doesn't show up the way we want him to? I mean, in the past, the last chapter, Jesus said, that we weren't supposed to fear what people could do who could destroy the body, but we we're supposed to fear him who's able to destroy body and soul in hell. He, he was giving us a priority. He was trying to tell us and give us clarity in how this life is supposed to be lived, that there are things that are temporary that you're not supposed to be captured by. 
And then there are things that are supposed to capture us. And God is supposed to be the one who captures us and we are not supposed to be captured by this world and those who control the things of this world. And so it's a hard lesson many times to learn, but it's something that everyone has to learn. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, sometimes it doesn't go the way you think it should. It doesn't mean he's not who he actually is, the Messiah, the chosen one, the redeemer. He's just not showing up the way you want him to. What are you going to do? How are you going to respond? And so they go back to John. They leave Jesus and began, then Jesus begins to speak to the crowd about John in verse seven. And he says, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind. He's saying someone who is a pushover. Did you go out to see some guy who was just, you know, spineless, who would cave to pressure? Someone who really didn't have a, a strong position? Someone who was influenced by the people, the kings, the government, peers, money? Someone who was easily swayed? Is that who you went out to see? And I was like, well, no. John wasn't that person. John, in the face of persecution, spoke to Herod and to his face told him what he was doing wrong, even though it cost him his freedom. So he wasn't that kind of mamsy-pansy kind of guy. Mamsy-pansy, I don't know if it's a word, but you know what I'm saying. He wasn't that kind of a guy. You didn't go to see that. Did you go to see a man dressed in fine clothes? No, not John. He was wearing sackcloth and camel's hair. I've never worn camel's hair. It just doesn't sound comfortable. It sounds itchy. You know, he had a leather belt, some camel's hair, and sackcloth. I don't know where the sackcloth left and the camel's hair began, but he wasn't someone who was dressed in fine clothes. He was a rugged individual living out in the desert, eating wild honey and locusts. So no, you didn't go to see that. No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces where John is now imprisoned. Then what did you go out to see? And you see what Jesus is doing is he's telling these people, John drew you to, to come and to the, this place of recognizing your sin, this baptism of repentance. John made you aware of the needs in your life. What did you go out to see? Why did you go see him? What was the reason? What was the draw? He says, a prophet? And he says, yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one by whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. And so what Jesus is now doing is bringing to light who John is. He's bringing to light that John was supposed to not only be a prophet, but to be more than a prophet. And what does he mean by more than a prophet? Well, he is the one by whom it was written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. This is in Malachi chapter three. 
Malachi also speaks of Elijah, which is what Jesus is going to go on to talk about. But what he's telling the people is John was a prophet and he was even more. His role was more than just a prophet proclaiming God's word. He had a specific role. It was that of preparation. He was there for a purpose to prepare this. And he says, I truly tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. He's bringing two worlds together, and John is kind of the timeline where these worlds are going to now divide. John, there was no one greater up to him, but now after him, even the least in this new kingdom has a greater position than John did. What's he speaking about? Well, he goes on and he talks about it a little bit more. He says, from the days of John the Baptist up until now, again, here's a point. The kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and the violent people have been raiding it. And there's two interpretations to what this means. One interpretation has been that, and it's the most widely accepted one, is that the heavenly kingdom is sought for with the most ardent zeal and that there is supposed to be the tensest exertion to to receive it. In other words, those who are pursuing the kingdom of God are the ones who are desperately in earnest to enter into the kingdom, that they're violently going after it. That's one interpretation. The other interpretation, it, it seems more fitting, it's that there is always going to be persecution towards those who belong to this kingdom. Either way, it's serious business. Either way, he's bringing to bear something that is very severe. There is violence, violence that strikes in your mind. Oh, my violence, people being robbed, mugged, war, violence. It's something that's not nice. There is some tension that is taking place here that's going on. And, And again, John is in this mix. There's something that's happening, and John is signifying a change that is taking place. For all the prophets, verse 13, and the law prophesied until John. This is really important because what Jesus is saying is he's bringing to conclusion the entire law and prophets with John. They all prophesied. What did they prophesy? They prophesied of the chosen one, the Messiah. They prophesied of the kingdom that God was going to establish. They all were looking forward until John. And now we're not looking forward anymore. Now the kingdom is here. Now there is a change. It is a new dispensation. It is a new work of God. God has put away the old and brought in the new. He has now fulfilled all of the law and the prophets, and John was the last one. Up until John, now something new is taking place. And this is really important because now Jesus is pointing out that John was actually pointing to him. Because John was the last, that means 
he was pointing to what? To who? To Jesus. And to what Jesus is and is supposed to be. Luke tells us that John came in the spirit and power of Elijah. And there were similarities. And he goes on and he says that in verse 14. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let him hear. He was to be the fulfillment. Now, what is this about Elijah? What, what, what is he talking about? In Malachi chapter 4, says, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. Elijah is the precursor to the promised one of God. When Elijah comes, then the Messiah comes. Elijah was going to be the one, but Elijah didn't come in the same way that is completely talked about here in Malachi. In other words, he's not coming before the great and dreadful day of judgment. We know that's something that's going to happen again later. But Elijah did come, but it was in the spirit that John the Baptist had. Now, John wasn't reincarnated as Elijah. He was John the Baptist. It's not something weird like that. It was just the example. There were the similarities. They were both living in the desert. They were both prophets of God. They both wore leather belts. They both uh, spoke to against the kings and those who were rulers at the time. They, they both had this message that they're bringing, and Elijah brought this, and so now does John in that spirit, and he's saying, if you can receive this, John is fulfilling that role that Elijah was supposed to fill as that prophet. He is a prophet in the spirit of Elijah. And so as he's coming, he's saying, if you have ears to hear, listen, what, what am I telling you? I'm telling you that what you were waiting for is now here. What the prophets were looking forward to is now present. And as great as those prophets were, something better is here. So that now the least of us can have a position that is better than the best of them. Because things are changing. Do you hear it? Do you understand it? All those years, all these scriptures that we have, all of them are testifying to this event that is happening before you right now. And John was bringing to close all of that. One of the things I think is interesting too and telling is Jesus' response to John. He doesn't berate him. He doesn't put him down for his lack of faith. He really just makes things clear. This is how it is. And blessed is the person who's not offended. That's his heart. That's what he does. And he asks us the same thing. If we have ears, let's hear what he's trying to say to us. And so Jesus is making clear that if John has come in the spirit and role of Elijah, then he, in fact, Jesus, is the Christ. 
which now brings the kingdom of heaven here. This should be a, a time where the nation of Israel would be ecstatic. This is what they've been waiting for for thousands of years. This is what the prophets have been speaking towards. This is what their songs have been celebrating. This is their hope. They should be rejoicing. But they're not. He says, what can I compare this generation? And I kind of, what can I say about you people? And he gives this illustration. They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. I said, what are you talking about? I'll tell you what I'm talking about. John came neither eating nor drinking. And they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking. And they say he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And so Jesus comes here and he illustrates that both joy and mourning were offered to them. The mourning was offered through John. John said, you guys, remember, he's fulfilling all of what the law is there. He's there to, to bring to conclusion what the law was there. He's there to tell them to hammer home what the law of God was. You guys need to change. You're not good enough. You need to be baptized to repent of your sins. And John was a heavy, he's a fire brimstone kind of a guy. That's how he was, because that's what the law required. It was unyielding. It was unbending. It was firm. It stood. It was the litmus test by which we were to test and see, where do I stand? Where do I rate? How am I with God? Am I completely given over to him? And no one made the test. They were to mourn. Repent. We talked about that Sunday when they heard the law and they were mourning because they recognized the shortcoming in their life. And that's what John was there to give them the opportunity. You guys can weep over your condition. You can cry for the devastation that you are living in. The condemnation of sin that is over your head is there. You need to recognize it and you need to turn from it. And it was too great for any of them to bear. It was too powerful a weight for any of them to get past. And so there should have been weeping. It should have been like a funeral service. There should have been a dirge going on and everyone was mourning. Why? Because we can't, we can't get past this. He brings the embodiment of what the law is pointing to their deficiencies and demanding that they acknowledge their sin and repent. They don't like that. They don't want to hear that. He's a demon. He's, that guy's crazy. We're not that bad. Then Jesus comes. He's too lenient. He eats too much. He drinks too much. I like Jesus' side better, right? He's, 
He's touching people who are unclean, the, the lepers, the, the woman with the issue of blood. He's doing things that we don't think he should be doing. He is too liberal, too lenient. And notice both John and Jesus are inviting them to join. One to mourn, the other to dance. John's way is too narrow, too strict. Jesus' way is too wide. And so they respond to neither. Some people are just like that. There is no pleasing them. God, I I can't believe in a God who would allow such evil to happen. Okay, I guess there's no God. Well, I have to have God to blame it on because otherwise it's my fault. What what is it? What do you want? Uh, And they're in this, well, I can't go this way because if I go this way, it's too strict. I I don't want to go this way because then it's too much responsibility and my freedom really matters what I do. And so many people, even in church, have this dichotomy of where do I fit? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to live? I can't go to that. They're too strict. I don't want to go there. too free. And so they don't do anything. They don't respond. And you see, there's no place for spectators in the kingdom only for participators. You can't be a spectator in the kingdom of heaven. You have to be a participator. And where they were not wanting to come in, they were not wanting to respond, they were not wanting to acknowledge the sin and and their inability to meet God's standards, they also didn't want to acknowledge that Jesus was the one the chosen one, the Messiah who has come to deliver him. He was the promise of God. Here now the kingdom of heaven is among us. And as we look at this, this is such a a powerful picture of a change taking place in all of humanity. And we can look back and say, oh man, at that time this was happening. But you see, what's happening now in our hearts when Jesus is calling out to us, where we have now the responsibility of responding to what he says. He's calling us, I want you to come and be a part of this kingdom. I want you to come and I want you to dance with me. I don't dance. No, I don't do that. I want you to come here and recognize that the kingdom of heaven is here and it's going to be brought with violence. It's going to cost you everything. No, I don't do that. That's too big a cost. I want a religion that allows me my comfort zone and allows me my space. So we don't participate at all. We keep God in his box We pull them out when we need to, like a genie. Okay, God, do this for me. And then we put them back. And so Jesus' final words, wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Wisdom means the wise will respond. 
one translation it says wisdom is proved right I think by your children and the idea is they're going to bring to bear what happens if you don't respond you're not wise and we all have to respond to the change that's taking place the Messiah is here the kingdom of heaven is here we are now in this battle zone it's violent. It's being forced in whichever way you look at it. Either you're violently pursuing it or it's going to violently oppose you. You can't get away from it. It's happening. It's here now. And what's our response? We see what their responses were. What's our response? When Jesus speaks to us, what is going to be our response? It's amazing that Jesus, as he speaks about John in the highest term, he doesn't rescue him. He doesn't take him out of jail. Why wouldn't he? Doesn't that seem like the right thing to do? There's something better happening. There's something better for John, for all of us, happening in Jesus. And we need to understand that. We need to embrace that because Jesus is going to go on and speak about those who don't recognize who he is, those who don't turn and acknowledge that he is the anointed one, the, the Messiah, the, the savior of the world. He's going to go on and bring this judgment onto those who, who don't recognize. Why? Because all of, the, all of history has been pointing to this event. And now that it's here, you have to respond. And if you don't, well, it's what Jesus said. In John chapter 3, I didn't come to condemn the world. Why? Because I came to save it. And then he says, the world is condemned already. See, the truth is we're condemned already. That's what the good news is, is that the chosen one has lifted our condemnation. And even though we may be in prison, even though we may be financially at straits, even though we may have cancer, even though our life may be falling apart all around us, the condemnation has been lifted from our shoulders. That's the good news. Later on in Matthew's gospel, he's going to tell them, the prophets and kings have longed to see what you see, but didn't. What was he talking about? They've waited for this time when I would come and lift this condemnation from. They've waited for it. And here it is. They saw it and we get to live in it. I hope this sparks us to want to enter in with violence. We want to pursue God passionately. We want to live in this kingdom wholeheartedly. We want to give of ourselves fervently. That we don't want to be on the sidelines. And God's calling us 
to sing, and we're saying, no, I don't want to sing. I don't want to be a part of that. He's calling us to, to cry and deal with like these, no, I don't want to be a part of that. No, no. That we would not be spectators, but we would respond and participate in the kingdom of God that is here now. Let's pray. Lord, you said wisdom would be proved by our deeds. Wisdom would be proved by how we move forward from this place, this understanding. And the understanding is of who you are. So, Lord, I pray that wisdom take place in my life and I would be responsive to, to who you are. And in spite of the difficulty that takes place, in spite of the violence, in spite of the fact that sometimes you do not show up the way I would like, that I would not be stumbled, that I would not be offended by you. But I would still join in and sing, and dance, and live for you and for your kingdom. Lord, that we would recognize that something incredible has happened in history. And we're reading about specifically when it happened, but we're also living now in the midst of what's happening. And this kingdom that you are establishing is being established in and through us in the midst of a world that is decaying, that is filled with violence, that is filled with evils, which is filled with difficulties. There's something beautiful happening at the same time. And no matter where we find ourselves, we can find joy in you, reason to dance. And you're calling us to be a part of this beautiful work that you're doing in this messy world that we live in. May we see clearly, may we have ears to hear what you're saying, and may wisdom be proved right in our deeds. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.